Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. If you have a medical condition and you cannot fast from food, that's okay. I'm asking that you devote yourself to prayer for the next 20 days. If you can fast, jump in and fast and be praying with us. We are praying for uh, Easter service. We are praying for our Easter gathering and that we can reach people in the Metairie community as well. And that we can, then when we come back, that we come back with force and with power and that we can see God move in our communities and we can see God change people. I mean, I want to see Jesus sweep through our cities. I want to see Jesus change the, the, the generational outcomes of families. And that's what we're praying for. So be praying with us. As I mentioned, today we are in John chapter 4, and just by a quick show of hands, do we have any middle children in this room? Like, you're the middle child? I'm not, but I'm going to put my hand up. Okay, we've got a couple. We've got some middle kids in this room. You're, you're, this is kind of geared towards you. Uh, this is also geared towards anybody who's been rejected for any reason whatsoever. This is definitely for people who have made mistakes. If you have a checkered past, then you're going to know this is for you as well. This message, this chapter is so incredibly important to anybody who has ever felt like they are left out, cast aside, don't belong, and are unimportant. And we're going to see why in just a second. So we're going to read first. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So when he came to the town of town, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came out to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews does not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You don't even have a bucket and this well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well to drink from and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this well will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, Jesus told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have said correctly you do not have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we, sorry, uh, lost my place there. 
what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left town and made their way to him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can gather together and come and receive from you. Lord, I ask that you help put me to the side and speak. We want to see you. We want to see you clearly, Jesus. Do a work in us and do a work through us, Lord. Amen. When, when we oftentimes think about the coming of the Messiah, a lot of times what we think of is, is kind of what I'm going to call the main story. And we think about, uh, we go back to the very beginning, we go to creation, and we see the fall, and that's good, and that makes sense, and we see the promises, and then we see uh, God calling uh, a people through Abraham. And we're like, okay, this makes sense. And we, we see uh, Abraham fathered Isaac, and then Isaac fathered Jacob, and we see this line progressing, and then we get towards, like, the kingdom, and all of a sudden we see this huge kingdom rising up, and Saul didn't do well, but that's okay because David came in, and now we've got David's line, and, and David did good, and Solomon did good until he had an eye for the ladies, which is an understatement. Um, and then something happened. So that's like the main story. But even after that, we see like Judah, and we see like the promises of, of Judah's line coming, and, and Christ is going to come as a, you know, with a scepter of Judah. And this is the main story arc that we see in Scripture, is, is the Jews expecting the Messiah and always looking back to everything that's happened, and the Jews understanding that they are the main group in this story. The Jews understood they are the apple of God's eye. They are, they are, they are the precious ones. They have the promises. They are, they're in covenant with God. And if you're not Jew, then you're on the outside of that. That's the main story that goes through the Bible. And that's good. But this, is, is, this woman is, is part of a different story. It's more of a side story that occurs. And here's what I mean. There were two kingdoms. So remember, at one point, we had one kingdom, Israel, in all of its glory, 12 tribes living together, perfect harmony, never had a problem in the day of their lives. Maybe an exaggeration. Then what happened is Solomon dies and the kingdoms split. And now you go from one kingdom to two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom, which keeps the name Israel. And then you've got the southern kingdom, which keeps, takes the name Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. Judah is the main story, so to speak. It's not that things didn't happen in Israel. It's just that a lot of negative things happen in Israel. So, it, it, for example, it splits in 930 B.C. Uh, and then what we've got is, is all of a sudden there's this new capital, quotes, unquote, that pops up in Israel, the northern kingdom, called Samaria. So in Samaria, they had about 19 kings who pretty much all did evil. Because we're not going to look at Judah right now, because Judah's the main story. We're pretty familiar with how that arc goes. I want us to look at this side story for a second. So we've got Samaria in Israel. Nineteen kings all do evil. 
Um, it finally falls to Assyria in about 721 BC. Later on, Alexander the Great comes, and he takes that too, and that just gets wild, and all sorts of things come out about that. But what you had was these people group on this side story branch who are now existing, and they become a mixed people. Now, the Jews, one of the things that's really important to being Jewish is that you are Jewish. Your mom's Jewish. Your dad's Jewish. Your grandparents were Jewish. Your great-grandparents were Jewish. That's a big thing with being Jewish is your identity is in the fact that your line is clear. It's like uh, royalty, right? When they're looking at royalty, they look to see, is it pure? That's, that's how the Jews thought of things. Well, the Samaritans were not a pure people. They were a mixed people. They had Jewish and pagan in their roots. In Ezra, which we looked at not too long ago, um, they, the, the Samaritans wanted to come and help rebuild the wall, and the Jews told them, no, you're mixed. You have no part with us. This is the, this is the ethnic identity of this woman Jesus comes to talk to. This whole dialogue that's going on, this is her ethnic identity. She is a mixed side story person outside the promise of God. The Jews uh, considered the Samaritans to be unclean. Now, we think unclean, no big deal. Throw it in the dishwasher, unless you've got plumbing issues. Uh, throw it <laughs> Love you guys. Uh, throw it in the washer, no problem, you could get it clean. No, for something to be unclean in the Jewish culture meant it pretty much needed to be broken. There were specific laws about how you dealt with things that were unclean. If it was an unclean pot, you had to break it. It could never be used again. Like, you just shattered it. That was the ethnic group these, that this woman, she belonged to these people, to a people who were thought to be unclean, that if they touched something, you had to get rid of it. Let's put it in these terms. If we were living under this type of system where the Samaritans were unclean, dirty people, and anything they touched had to get rid of, we would ask, like, okay, maybe you're allowed in church service, but now that church is over, can I have all the Samaritans pick up your chairs and go throw them outside in the trash? Because nobody can sit in those chairs again because you're dirty, filthy, unclean people and your presence stains the chair that you're sitting on. This woman that Jesus comes to choose and sit with, that's part of her ethnic identity. But she's also a woman, kind of implied in the name, this woman. Generally, women had no rights in this day and age. They had no standing whatsoever. Occasionally, some, you know, some woman could inherit property, but if she did and she was married, then her husband got to decide what to do with that property. Her husband could also choose to divorce her for just about any reason whatsoever. She burnt dinner last night. Out you go. Find me a woman who can cook, just like my mama said. Like she was a woman. She had no rights whatsoever. She could not be considered a witness in a court of law because she was a woman. This is who Jesus comes to talk to. A mixed, dirty Samaritan who's a woman. She's also a sinner. Jesus tells her to go call her husband, and she says that you haven't had one husband. You've had five. Five husbands today would be a lot. Five husbands, you'd look at somebody and be like, you've been married quite a few times. And she's living with a man who is not her husband. Like, she was an anathema to her own people. The, the, the Samaritans who were considered unclean by the Jews didn't even want to associate with this woman. 
That's how much of a sinner they looked at her as. Now, maybe, maybe one or two of the husbands died. Give her the benefit of the doubt. May, but realistically, she's probably either been uh, living in with men, because we know she's doing it at this time with Jesus, or she's gotten quite a few divorces. This is who Jesus comes to talk to. A side story. And this woman knows that she's a side story. Because when you're a broken person, you know you're a broken person. When all your life you've been told you're dirty, you know you're dirty. When all your life you've been told you're a woman, you really, you're not going to amount to anything. At best, maybe you'll get your MRS degree. You start to believe these things. You know these things about yourself. They become the narrative that you tell yourself all the time. It becomes the way you filter everything you do. You do it through that lens of, I'm a, I'm a dirty, unclean sinner. It's who I am. It, it's, it's, it's my identity. This is the person Jesus comes to talk to. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who's been waited for since the beginning of time. Go back to the very beginning in the Bible. John, uh, not John, Genesis 3.16, we see the promise of the Messiah who is to come. Right after the fall, God makes a promise that the Messiah is going to come. The Jews have been waiting since that moment for the Messiah to come. And now he's here. And this is the woman he chooses to go talk to. This gives us encouragement. Because again, if you're, if you're a middle child, now I'm not, I am the oldest, but I am the oldest of a teenage mother, so eh, it didn't really help me too much in my status. If you've ever been divorced, if you've ever made a mistake that was so bad you knew you could never come back from it, if you have ever gotten to the point where somebody has hurt you so deeply that it has scarred your identity, chipped away at the, the humanity of who you are, then you can start to understand what this woman felt and that Jesus came to talk to this woman. The beginning of John chapter 4, verse 2 says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't because a good Jew never had to go through Samaria. A good Jew did not have to go to Samaria. A good Jew had to go around Samaria. You don't have to go through it. You get as far away from it as possible because these are dirty, mixed, filthy people. You go through their country, you might become unclean. But Jesus had to go talk to this woman. When we understand who, what her identity was, how she would have viewed herself, the reality of her situation, we can understand her responses to Jesus. So here are the things that she says to Jesus. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. From her point of view, she understood the situation and her place in the world. When you feel rejected, everyone you look at, you look at them through the lens of them rejecting you. You don't get close to people. Not really. You get a little close. You're willing to open yourself up just a hair, but not too much because you understand they're going to reject you. Like, they're going to eventually be like, uh, see, now that I've seen this much of you, I'm done with you. So this is why she responds to Jesus that way. This is why oftentimes we respond to God the same way. Because once God truly sees who I am, 
he's going to reject me because everyone rejects me because I am a reject. Sir, said the woman, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? She can't fathom the gift that's being given to her. When you are broken, you cannot imagine a good gift being given to you. Nobody gives a good gift to a reject. Nobody cares about me. I'm broken. Jesus comes and offers her the most important thing in the world, and she's got a, she can't even imagine the gift that he would be offering to her. It is beyond her comprehension because you have learned as a broken person, as a rejected person, not to expect good things to come your way. That's for others. That's not for me. You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well to drink from and drink from it himself as did his livestock. She holds on to the one thing that gives her legitimacy. Somewhere back in her lineage, there's good. And we do this a lot. When we're hurt and rejected by others, we find something to give ourselves legitimacy. I'm not as bad as Frank. No, no, you got to understand, my granddaddy was a pastor. I, I, I would go to church, but church is full of hypocrites. When you're broken and when you're hurt and when you see yourself through that lens, you will find things to grab onto because we are made in God's image. So there is still a piece of us, no matter how broken we are, that understands I have value. You've learned to keep it small. You've learned to keep it hidden. You've learned to keep it tightly close guarded to you. But there's something that you hold on to because you know as a human being you have value and dignity. And you'll search and find it in any way. Like I said, comparisons, uh, remembering some long, deep thing. I, um, after I came to Christ, I was talking to my mom. And, you know, I told you, we, we didn't grow up in the church whatsoever. And my mom, I told my mom, um, I'm a Christian now. Like, I'm born again, follower of Jesus. She goes, oh, we're Lutheran. And I think I've told you this. I'm like, oh, what's a Lutheran? And she's like, I don't know, but we're Lutheran. Your, your great-grandfather was a Lutheran pastor in Kentucky. <laughs> I'm like, we don't live in Kentucky. <laughs> we ain't never been to church. What does this have to do with me? Absolutely nothing. But to my mom, it meant something. It was something that she could hold on to. Now, thankfully, my mom now walks with Christ. Now, praise God. That is what she can hold on to now. But at that time, that's all she had was, my great-granddaddy was a pastor, so I'm good. <laughs> Nope. God don't have grandchildren. But you find something to hold on to, to give yourself legitimacy. So the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. She's still struggling with the gift being presented to her. And again, interprets it through the lens of how she views herself and understands her place in the world. The gift Jesus offers is amazing. And oftentimes we cannot fully fathom this gift. We try to barter and make deals. We, we adjust the awesomeness of God in order to fit into our broken and tainted worldview and view of ourselves. We're willing to trade the magnificence of God for lesser things if they're offered to us that we can understand. When we moved to Knoxville, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. If I have, stop me. Um, we moved to Knoxville, and I didn't know. The, the school provided internet, which was awesome. But I didn't know this, so for like two or three days, we didn't have internet. And it's East Tennessee in the foothills. There's no cell service. 
And so I finally, I call Comcast at one point and I was like, hey, you guys got to come out and install cable. And they're like, sure, we'll be out there, whatever, whatever date. So then all of a sudden, I was just happened to be in the office talking to somebody, and they were like, I just mentioned, I'm like, oh, it's so hard to get the internet company out here. They're like, oh, you just got to plug it in. It's already in there. Like, we, we provide it to everybody. You just have to plug your router in. I was like, that is good information to know. I have gone three days without internet or phone service. All I had to do is plug it in. So I did. Plugged it in. Oh, it was great internet, too. But anyway, so I called uh, Coxback, or cable, whatever the cable company was, I don't remember. I call them back and I'm like, hey, listen, I know I got an appointment. I'm going to need to just cancel everything. I get free internet service from the school. This is what I told them. I get free internet service from the school. They're like, oh, well, we can offer you a deal. Well, we can give you 50 megabits for only $59.95. I'm like, I get it for free. Here's why I tell you that. She wanted me to trade the good awesome free gift I had for something else. Now, if I don't understand the value of this free, awesome, amazing gift, I'm willing to make that trade. I'm willing to trade the glory of God and the good things of God for lesser things if I don't understand the value of what God is offering me. That was this woman. She could not possibly fathom living water welling up inside of her. I don't have a husband. She relies on technicalities to justify herself. I think we've all been there. We do that a lot with, uh, if you only knew what happened to me. Like, yeah, I know I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this, but if you knew what happened to me, you'd say it's okay for me to do those things. We use technical cal uh, technicalities to justify our behavior. Horrible things can happen to us, things that break us. But Jesus comes to restore. Yes, yes, so the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. She acknowledges Jesus as a prophet, but nothing more. A lot of people are willing to accept Jesus as a good teacher. I, I'm, I'm willing to accept Jesus as a, as a nice guy. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my friend. We're willing to take steps. Like, if you read through the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, you can't help but go, Jesus is awesome. A friend to sinners? He yells at the religious elite? He tells them they're a brood of vipers? Which is some harsh language, by the way. He, he, he's willing to take on and, and care for those who are broken and less than, and he has compassion on the poor and the broken. Jesus is awesome. If that's as far as you go, you don't have Jesus. Like, there's a certain line that you cross where, like this woman, she, at this point, she's like, you're a prophet. I can see that you're amazing. You understand all these things. You're a good guy. You're pretty swell, Jesus. You're offering me water, and that's nice. I mean, I got the bucket, but whatever. You seem like a prophet. No. At some point, we've got to get beyond that line and step over and go, oh, no, Jesus is Lord. And when we make that step, everything changes. But she's not there at this moment. She is going to say, though, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And here's a classic thing that I, I'm not going to say we've all done it. A lot of us have done. 
people do it all the time, is she argues about religion. You offer Jesus to somebody and they want to argue religion. Jesus does not care about arguing religion with you. When faced with the truth of who Jesus is, we're going to worship in spirit and truth. She wants to argue about who's right, who's wrong, your people said this, my people said that, and Jesus is like, let's just shut all that down. Why don't you just put all that aside and hear what I'm about to say to you. The Father just wants you to worship him in spirit and truth. So this moves her towards closer, saying, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She admits that she has hope, and this is a beautiful thing. This, as for all of us, as ministers of reconciliation of the gospel, when we get somebody to the point where they can admit that they have hope, because hope exists in all of us, and I know that if you are breathing, if you have breath in your lungs, you have some amount of hope. Otherwise, you wouldn't be breathing. You would have taken your life already. You have some amount of hope that exists in you. And if a person is willing to offer that glimpse to you, it is a gift. And it is a beautiful thing. Because hurt people hide their hope. Because it has been abused and crushed. Hurt people have learned to guard it viciously. But this woman is taking this moment to offer it to Jesus and saying, I know the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to take care of things. And then she moves. Her next statement after this is, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? She finally accepts and starts to believe. And here's the thing. The, The most hurt people, the people who have been hurt the most, either by someone else's actions or their own, are often going to be the loudest voices saying, come and see! I think I found the Messiah! I I think I found him! Because all of a sudden, that hope that was this tiny little thing explodes when they find that Jesus is who he says he is. All of a sudden, maybe I'm not rejected. Maybe I'm not a loser. Maybe, maybe my past doesn't disqualify me from walking towards Jesus in the future. Maybe the brokenness that I had means uh, that, I, that, that that stays there and I can move forward. Maybe I have value again. Maybe somebody cares. John 7.47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, this is a different story, Jesus is talking about a different woman here. Her sins, which are forgiven, which were many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Like I said, the most often times, often, the, the people who are most on fire for Jesus, the ones who are the most radical, the ones who are just downright crazy, are those who understand how much they've been forgiven. And they cannot help but go and tell everybody to the point where you're like, oh, crap, they're coming again. And they they see you coming across the room, and they're like, they're going to talk about Jesus. I know it. It doesn't matter what I say. Watch this. Any water? I know the guy who walks on water. And you just don't even care because you're like, whatever. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Deal with it. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't invite me over. I didn't invite you over. I don't care. Anyway, here's the point. This woman's story and our stories are very 
similar. And you are not a side story. You are not something else in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has no extras. The kingdom of God has no second-class citizens. You are not a side story. You are part of God's main story. Now, maybe because of your birth order, you feel less than. Maybe your parents made you feel unimportant. Maybe your spouse has made you feel unimportant. Maybe you've been told you're secondary because of your skin color. Maybe you've made mistakes and felt disqualified. Maybe things have happened to you that made you feel unwanted and abused. Maybe you have been abused and discarded as useless. It doesn't matter. Jesus comes to you and says, I, I, the one speaking to you, am the Messiah. And I want you. This woman, this secondary in her mind, side story, is the first person Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah to. And he had to do it. He says, I have to go talk to this woman and tell her that I'm the Messiah. And that's you, and that's me. Because when we understand this woman, when we understand her story, we better understand Jesus. Because we see that he is compassionate on the outcast. He is gentle. He is a lover of the rejected. He is a seeker of the lost. He is a redeemer of the wounded. He is the one who knows. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who includes. He is the one who offers life. He is the Messiah. And that's what I offer to you today. The Messiah. The Christ. The one who forgives. The one who says, I know what you did. I, don't, I, don't, I, I know you did it. I know what happened to you. I understand how they hurt you. I know what you've been through. Come to me. Because I've got hope. I've got forgiveness. I've got love. I talk about it in Romans all the time. Romans 10. Thanks, Colton. Uh, Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hold on to this. Stick this in your cap, Yankee Doodle. Here's the thing to understand and remember. For, can you go back to that verse for me, Colton, real quick? I'm sorry. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Now, we think about this in terms of, oh, the, the broken and the downcast, and we're going to talk about that in a second, absolutely. But here's the thing. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means, if you are a Christian, there are times you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Because you get yourself into some stupid situations. This means you, are, you have times where you have to call on the name of Jesus, and that's where we're at. So what I want to do is we're going to pray. And then, uh, and then Dean and I are going to be up front. We're going to have communion. Uh, if you need prayer, come forward. Um, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We, we need to pray. Here's what we have. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So whatever situation you find yourself in today or anywhere around you, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. When, you, when you're this close to lashing out at your spouse, call on the name of the Lord and he will save you from doing something stupid, from saying something you reject. You're, you're, you'll uh, re re thank you, regret later. If you have never walked with Jesus, this is a time to call on him and say, Jesus, I'm willing to try. I I'm willing to give you a shot at least. Let's try this out and see what you can do in my life, Jesus.
Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you are near the brokenhearted. I thank you that in our weakness and our hurt and our, and our infirmities and our, and our abuses that we've done and our abuses that have happened to us, you are here. And that we can call on your name and be saved. I thank you, Jesus. For anyone here, Jesus, who, who needs to do that, I pray that you give them the strength, the courage, uh, the desire to call on your name and be saved. Lord, for, for those who we do walk with you, we would confess that you are Lord. We call on you and say we need you to save us from all sorts of situations. Whatever that situation is today, we lift it to you, Lord, and trust you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being near. Thank you for telling us that we are not secondary, that we are not a side story, that we're not less than. It's like that you had to go see this woman. You had to come to earth for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.